I'm Renee Ritchie, and I'm a tech analyst. I'm Georgia Dow, and I'm a psychotherapist. And welcome to Apple Talk, the show where we talk about Apple and related companies and how they affect our culture and our lives, which they do, increasingly. Right. Well, let's start off with, with this. What, what is this? <laughs> so so if last show, yes. um, we got to choose one of our favorite things. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar, on the Nebula version of this podcast, we do an extra topic. And while some of us choose to use that topic to inform and empower, <laughs> others choose to use it to sow discord and merciless teasing on others. Yes. <laughs> I have a certain amount of power now. I'm going <laughs> to use it. Um, so I chose, uh, kindly, um, a uh, civet coffee. Do you want to explain what that means, Renee? It means a monkey eats the coffee and poops it back out before they, they, they turn into beans. A is not a monkey, though. It's not a monkey. It's a mammal. For Monkeys are mammals. Mammalian kind of thing. It's okay. fair, but it, it's not a primate. Is it different? Okay. It's not a primate. It's a secondary? Um, it looks like like in the weasel family, okay. but All I right. could be totally wrong about that. So a that. weasel eats the coffee so and eats then the coffee, poops it back out. poops it out. They clean it and then roast it and then we get to eat it. It is some of the most expensive coffee that you can buy. So you should be happy. Yeah, I should. Although, yeah. Okay, let's see. We haven't tried it yet. No. Okay, go ahead. I want you to try it first. <laughs> Doesn't. So, I'm a bit of a coffee snob, and this coffee arrived ground, which means to <laughs> me, like it expired weeks ago. So it's not right. very strong. <laughs> what does it taste like, though? It tastes like weak coffee. Weak coffee? Okay, fair. Maybe we it's should have made turn. espresso. <laughs> okay, here I go. Okay. Oh my god. doesn't really taste like coffee no. to me. Mm. This is riveting radio. It's, um, um, yeah, really, really weak yeah. coffee. Like, really... Mm. Well, I, I have an espresso machine, and I have to put beans into it. It doesn't take... Right. What do they so call it? Be... Like ground, so I had to use an AeroPress, which I love the AeroPress, but I'm, I haven't done it in a while. I'm not sure about ratios, so... So maybe, maybe it was you. But still, the taste is... Um, it's got a bitterness to it that is not my favorite thing. That might just be me projecting. <laughs> okay, so there we go. That's, right. that's the beginning. Um, yes. So as we go through it, every time we take a sip unconsciously of the coffee, It'll I was going to say I'm not going to drink it and just let you drink it. <laughs> It'll be civet poop to the last drop. Oh. Like Nescafe. I think that, does that get us like, to put a little but disclaimer? System. Yeah. Well, let's digest this next topic. All right, so Apple had an event and... Poor, poor Georgia, because she was all set to discuss the entire event, her thoughts, her like what she wanted in a new iPhone, and I'm like, I'm I have to do all the reviews, Georgia. I have so many embargoes. I have the iPhone embargo. I uh, I forget what it was, but it was like I had the i the iPhone one day, the, the, iPhone, iPad, the iPad another day, and there was a third thing, something in there that I can't. Oh, the Beats Flex, the Beats Flex headphones, right? And they were like literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like I just I can't do the podcast this week. <laughs> We needed a little breather. I was all angry anyways. So yeah. There we go. Oh, but. yeah. But now now you actually have the phones in front of you. I do have the phones yeah. in front of you. So here we go. I'm going to try. Don't drop them. That wouldn't be good. You can drop them. They have ceramic shields. <laughs> oh, let's not try that. I've done that too many times on too many shows. Okay. So here they are, Renee. Yes. Give me your thoughts because you've actually had the chance to use them. I've gotten the chance to, to So you've got them. a blue iPhone 12 and a... Pacific Blue iPhone 12 Pro. If you're watching on the video version, you, she's holding them up right now. Holding them up. And Pro is means an extra camera. 
Pro means an extra camera, an extra 175 nits of brightness. It's got uh, a LiDAR scanner. It's also got two extra gigabytes of uh, RAM. So it's got six gigs instead of four gigs of RAM. And yeah, it's just, it's extra. It's not really a Pro, it's extra. But it's a Pro. It's premium. It's, premium. yeah, it's expensiver. Expensiver, I think that's sure. a technical term. Yeah. So what, what were your quick thoughts on the event and which phone do you want? Well, I... I... I want the Pro. I'm not going to, like, one, you know, because so what, I... Sorry, what do you have now, just for context? Oh, so I have the Pro Max. Okay, the 11, the 11 Pro, Pro Max. Max. Yeah. Um, I love it. I think that it's great. And in comparison to, like, size and everything... Wow. Well, the regular non-Max is bigger now. It's the same size as the, yeah. as the iPhone 11 was, so 6.1 inches. Yeah. Um, the Max is bigger, too, though, Georgia. I know. Yeah. I know. Um... Yeah, and I, I think that they look pretty amazing. I, I, I like the feel better the of the shape. square shape. I think that I can hold it better. I have better grip on it. Yeah. This phone I've dropped um, all the time. I just drop it all the time, even though it has because a Because it's curved? Because it's a little oh, bit more okay, curved. My hands are small. Yeah. And so I find that I get a better grip on the edges to it. Because um, people usually say that big phones are not friendly to people with small hands. It's true though. It is okay. a little bit harder for me to do things. Though at these sizes, no matter what, I'm going to be using two hands. So it doesn't so you really might as make, well. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to, I might as well get the larger real estate okay. and the screen size, which matters a lot to me. So okay. yeah. And the, the most exciting thing was the MagSafe and all of its accessories. I thought that that was the most exciting part for me of the event, though I thought I was getting air tags. I won't talk about that. It's a sad story. It was the briefcase experience. I really yeah. did think that this, I was like, maybe, and everyone had told me Oh, you me thought that. air? Yeah, so Cayenne comes out with the 007 theme, the ba-now, ba-now, And then spyware. she opens it up and it was the mini. Which is awesome, yeah. but wasn't for me because I'm like I'm like one. Just make it one smaller because yeah. no phone would fit if it was one smaller. And some people were confused because they're like the the Air Tags are perfect fit with the iPhone. Why wouldn't they be with the iPhone? But I think it doesn't matter this year. Like the first event was Apple Watch and iPad, and those don't have anything to do with each other. Right. But it creates a bigger audience. And the second event was the iPhone and the HomePod Mini. And again, HomePod Mini has nothing to do with iPhone. No. But if for people who don't care about iPhone, at least they get something. Yeah. And I think John Gruber pointed this out too in his in in one of his columns. And then next month we conceivably have a an Apple Silicon event, and we could get that with the AirPod Studio or with the AirTags. And it doesn't matter what works with each other; it just matters how Apple's programming it for all audiences. Yes. Yeah. How how it's going to spread your money out because you're going to purchase each of them. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. But it was interesting because this week, and I really couldn't believe this. This was one of the biggest. Like, I'm going to say it's a huge surprise. People are going to think it's lame. But um, Joel Podol I'm going to say his name wrong. Joe Podolny, uh, who used to be dean of Harvard's business school, I believe, and for the last few years has been vice president and dean of Apple University. And for people not familiar with Apple University, uh, when Steve Jobs was retiring as CEO, when he was handing over to Tim Cook, and when he ultimately passed away, he created Apple University as a way to maintain Apple's culture beyond himself because he said the greatest product he ever created was Apple, not the iPhone, not the iPad, was yeah. Apple. And he wanted a way to keep that culture going. And so Joel has been doing that. And this week, apparently two years in the making, he dropped an article about, and he called it How Apple is Organized for Innovation. But I think a lot of people would just say how to maintain a functional organization at scale. Right, right. Yeah. 
And so, Renee, what did you think when you read through it? So I'm actually, I want to turn that around on you because I've been covering Apple for so long and I, I kind of just, I'm familiar with how they work now. So the fact that they have these tiny little teams, it makes no sense to anybody else, that they don't have profit and loss per per product unit. Right. And they don't have business units. They don't have business managers. Like all of that just makes sense to me because I've been so immersed on it. But you deal with organizations and leadership and management. And this is, for the last hundred years, this is not how companies have behaved. Right, or at least not at the scope yes. of where Apple yes. is. Small companies often do. Because they have to. Because <laughs> Yeah, because they're small kind of companies. I think that the way that Apple kind of functions as a unit, and I'll I'll go through kind of the the three things that Apple wants in in their you know executives, which was really really cool. So they they want one deep expertise. So that means that you know your subject exceptionally well. You should be an except like so instead of having a manager that manages a team that's good at managing but doesn't know about the product, Apple wants to ensure that you have an expertise and says that the managerial skills are something that will be easier to teach than teaching the expertise in the field and then managerial skills. So even if you don't have them, they would prefer one versus the other. I like this because you and I used to teach martial arts and one of the students that we had used to spin hyperplexing boards for Nortel, like high level silicon geek. And he left because the the new manager was just whoever at the company was next in line for a management job, knew nothing about what they were working on, but was just next in line. Yes, and so if you don't, so one is that creates a problem with respect because someone's telling you to do something that may managerially make sense to a company, but doesn't actually understand the inner workings to that. And so I think that that works towards creating a respectful environment where you know the person that is over you really understands what you are doing and why you are doing it. And so if they ask you to do something that is counter to what your innate thought is, at least they're coming from a space where you're like, but they know what I'm doing. Versus I think that when you have a lot of people that come in and there's a manager or even a new manager and they know nothing about what you're doing, that feeling of being respected or your words matter can cause a huge disjoint right. where you're kind of talking at each other and you can feel disrespected. And they also don't understand, well, they're, they're concerned about profit and loss because their bonuses are tied into profit and loss. If you made us this much money or right. saved us this right. much money, right. but that can come at a cost. And we talked about this on a previous episode. Yes. Like you, you can't think of the components. You have to think of the product. You have to right. think of the end result, not the technology, but the, the end user experience. Right. And they will often sacrifice to save money when someone who is skilled and in-depth about the product would say, no, if we do this 10% more, we'll make 50% more money. Right. So the financial analysts in, in Apple, like the people that are doing the cost-benefit ratios, are not in part of these teams. They yes. do it as a general, as a whole in Apple. So they still, you know, of course, want to make a profit. Yeah. But if you're area, say you're working on the camera and you may function at a loss at first, another area can kind of buffer that. And so they look at it more in a scale view, whereas you can really focus on producing the best product, not having to kind of worry about the nickel and dimes that are going to go into it and make sure that it's going to be profitable to you. And so you have that support and everyone around you is all working towards that same kind of cultural goals of producing the best product that are really going to innovate, push the button, and go through whatever were their you know, thought process. They use a whole example of the iPhone camera where the camera team was pitching the iPhone 7's dual cam- iPhone 7 Plus dual camera system and would 
and their job was just to make the best camera system. Another team right. had to price that, and the, the thing was, would people be willing to pay for that camera system? Yeah. And if they weren't, that team would have less like ability to push things forward in, like, in the past. But to me, one of the biggest examples is just the watch, because Apple is literally making unparalleled chipsets for the watch, and other companies like Qualcomm can't afford to do it because they have to sell the chip, right. and Apple gets to sell the watch. Right. And that's just such a huge difference in what it lets you achieve in the market. Right. Um, the second thing that they want to look in for people that are going to be um, heading you know, products is the immersion in the details. That one I find a little bit psychologically less interesting. It's just that you should know three teams down what everyone is having yeah. happen, um, which I think is great for accountability when someone asks you a question, which they will um, because of the third point, um, you're going to have to be able to give your reasons for it and everyone kind of understands a little bit further down the stream than where exactly you are and i think that that works to kind of keep everyone paying attention to what everyone else is doing yeah it's one of the things you hear a lot especially in the software engineering organization craig federici's organization is that he's capable of managing three levels down and they mean like i'm sure back with when bertrand serlet was there he knew the entire code base of os 10 but yeah. now apple has you know uh, mac os and ios and Watch OS, and I, I'm pretty sure Craig, regardless of how much of a genius is, just simply can't keep everything in his head. Right. But I think that just means that he knows what every component is for, and he knows the broad strokes of every component. And if he didn't know that, it'd be harder for him to make decisions about what has to ship now and what can be delayed. Like they talk right. about uh, Sebastian Marino. That's a really good point, though, Renee. Is that that to know what you can ship, what you can't, because you have a gr immerse understanding of what's yeah. happening on all the different levels. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, there's some subtle jabs at Scott Forstall in here that we can go through after, but one of the things about both Steve Jobs and Scott Forstall is that they said no a lot, a lot. Right. Like Apple still says no a lot, but they, like for example, AirDrop, uh, Steve said no to it, Scott said no to it. When Craig showed up, he said yes. And I think there are some people in software engineering who believe that Craig says yes to too much. And that's one of the reasons we have, you know, much we have much more functionality now, which nerds love, but also we have far more bugs because it's right. just not possible to add all these features and not increase the footprint of potential errors. So those sorts of things are weighed against each other. But I love the anecdote in here where Sebastian Marinomes, who back then was in charge of camera, he went from core OS to camera and now he's doing device intelligence. But he's like, this portrait mode thing is amazing. We can't ship it this year. And they actually only delayed it by a couple of months, but he's like, this has to ship right. And they went up and they said coming later this year because they knew they had to nail it. Right. And that sort of thing, well, to back up, I, one of the things I love most about Apple is that a lot of companies mistake their product for their business. Like I think Microsoft really got hurt because Steve Ballmer thought Windows was the business when it was just a product. Where Apple's like, yes, the iPod is our business now, but it's just a product. And if we replace it with the iPhone, we don't have to protect it. We've just got to make sure that if someone replaces it, it's us. Yes. And so yes. they knew their business was little digital devices we all wanted to buy. Yes. And so they never mistook the iPod. They didn't protect the iPod and destroy the future of the company. Right, exactly. They were able to parasitize their own yes. products as long as it was themselves doing it for a better product. Yeah. But that ended up protecting them because they were the ones that were then still pushing that envelope yes. to go forward and innovate instead of having it be something where they're going to just protect it and try to stop all competition, yeah. which we'll be talking about later, um, <laughs> from being able to you know, deal with it. And then it kind of makes something stagnant. It's agility at scale. 
I like that. I so like that. You said there were three points? There's three points. Okay. So the, my favorite one actually is the willingness to collaborate and to collaboratively debate. Yes. This, I think, is probably one of the strengths of Apple. Mm -hmm. Because one is we no longer have that like, you know, just in society in general, debating is a lost art yeah. where it's really just pitchforks. And I've, I've carried a few pitchforks. I'm, I might later on today carry one pitchfork about something, which is totally fine, but I'll have a discussion <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, that's the Sorkin thing, right? It's like, yeah. you don't hate people with my opinion. You hate me for having that opinion. Right. And oh, sorry, you don't hate the opinion, you hate the person who has it. You hate it. the person that has it, yeah. and maybe the opinion as well. <laughs> but with this, especially when you have a whole bunch of experts in one pool, you have to be able to discuss, debate, collaborate, you know, yeah. fight with, figure out what is the best way to do it, and it's encouraged. Where I think in a lot of companies, if you're going to speak against one of your higher-ups or one of your team leads, yeah. And they feel one way and you feel a different way, that is pretty much a bad thing. Like yeah. that could get you thrown off of a team. People take that very offensively. And let's just say it as a psychological phenomenon. If you disagree with my feelings on something, I take that, my emotionally, my brain takes that as a personal it's like attack. Like an attack, yeah. We don't know the difference between a thought being attacked and a physical attack and our yeah. bodies react the same way because it used to be that when you would you know have a fight with me about something that it was and yeah. eventually it was going to end in a fight and let's just say it humans only one of us are leaving <laughs> yeah There's exactly gone. and one of them's carrying the phones out with them um and and that's that's kind of what happens so this the willingness to do it and actually stating it yeah. and trying to encourage that allows for better products yeah because there's only one person at apple that actually has the, the responsible for the entire company, that's Tim Cook. Nobody, everyone else is just responsible for smaller and smaller slices right. of their functionality. And, but not everything can go up to Tim Cook. Like, even though he says like, good morning at 4 a.m., he's super you do busy. That so good. <laughs> he's good. And like the vice, pre the senior vice president. You gotta do it again. Good morning. The senior vice presidents are yeah. so busy too, right. um, that you, you have to be able to, like Don Melton, uh, mutual friend Don Melton, who started Amazing. the Safari team at Apple, had yeah. this slide where he said like what he looked for when building a team. Oh, I love this. And there this. were things like, so good. he said like, yeah, they need to be knowledgeable, but I can teach knowledge. They need to be teachable, but they also, but ultimately for him, it was trustworthiness because yes. if he could not go to sleep at night, knowing they do his job, their job, he couldn't go to sleep at night. Well, what I loved what Don said, and I think that it was in one of the podcasts that you did. I don't know if it was one of the old vectors or not, but you had a, a discussion that was really yeah. all about this and it was amazing. Um, we should go back and, and listen to it was that he really went after people for their character traits too. Yeah. He, which I think is so important. Like if you go after someone that is more of a, you know, um, achievement oriented, self-caring, you know, there's certain caretaker, like someone that will work even if you're not watching because they care about the job that they produce, leaning more towards perfectionism but not to the point of burnout. Like there's certain character traits that you look for for people and he really, knew how to look for that and to grab those people, whereas the other skills are teachable. But actually, who we are as a yeah. person is pretty, not fully hardwired, you can work on it. It's well-baked. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty hard set in you, yet learning knowledge, if you're someone that really cares, if someone that's achievement-oriented, someone that's gonna worry about something and problem-solve it until it's done, even with no difference whether someone's overseeing and watching or not, that's someone yeah. that is those sought-after gems in the workforce. And he really looked towards that. And I think like 
they're both good and bad that started with Steve. Like famously, Scott Forrestal couldn't take a vacation until Steve left because otherwise Steve would hunt him down no matter where he was. Right. But also Steve, like famously, <clears throat> didn't want to have iTunes on Windows. And they, you know, uh, Eddie and, and Phil convinced him. And he said, you know, I hired you. I trust you. If you get it wrong, it's your ass. But, you know, like yeah, he, he let them that. do it. He Like he was such a micromanager, such an auteur, line item vetoed, but he still trusted people. And Don Melton, we were just talking about him, he led WebKit at Apple. And when they had to make the decision of whether to use a web interface or the Mac interface for the iPhone, he said, no, web is not good enough. It's not responsive. Not, it wasn't not good enough. It's the wrong context. Right. We have native technologies. And they ended up making UIKit a whole new thing, but it was native. And then some of the people disagreed, went and made WebOS. Palm WebOS, which I loved, but which took 20 seconds to load a calendar app. Right. And he was willing to look beyond his own, like this was his domain. He was the web person, but he advocated what was best for the product. Yes. And I'm going to relate this strange metaphor, but like it's like people that make a movie or a film and they don't actually care about whatever is the book or the comic yeah. that they are taking this from. And you look at that product and you're like, this was not cared about. They didn't pay attention to detail. They were not a true fan. They, they're not yeah. passionate about this. And I think that these three, three techniques really make sure that you end up getting that problem solving, someone that understands the issue and someone that's gonna look into all of those little details and make something that's great. So you end up with Lord of the Rings instead of The Hobbit. Yeah, I think that's true. And I don't want to make it sound like there's like Apple has all the answers. Like there are people at Apple who I think are less than ideal. Like they right. sometimes they can manage up really well. Like they're horrible to the people who work for them, but they are so good at selling the people they report to right. that they don't sort of understand like why is everyone leaving this division? I don't understand what's happening. They're all transferring it. And they don't stop to think, well, maybe this person is good at managing up. And sometimes there are turf wars and you see that like when a leak comes out and it says like such and such a person was trying to put the kibosh on Siri for this. And you know that means somebody lost the argument and right. they're upset about it. And so they're airing their grievance right. in public. Or just there are people who really don't like it when their idea isn't isn't picked. Which you can understand. Like yeah. that hurts. It's really difficult. And there's a lot of competition. There's still a lot of pressure. Um, there, there are definitely some detriments to kind of working in these little pools because you might be working on something that will completely not function yeah. with one of the other team's work. So there's definitely also a whole bunch of negatives that come with that. Also, teams can become like little tiny territorial ecosystems, right? They become their own little yeah. tribe. And so you end up with the design team that are fighting with the camera team over, you know, I want it to look like this, but I need the camera to look like that. And they can yeah. have these little tiny turf wars that can come up as well. But... You know, because they have that willingness, you have to kind or of collaborate the, and debate. It kind of forces you. Well, we're going to battle it out, and whoever survives will will get all of the reaping all the benefits <laughs> of war. Well, it was one of my favorite articles that Guy English, also mutual friend Guy English, ever wrote. Was uh, just it was like it was farcical, but it was like, hey, you're working on on this secret project, right? He goes, yeah. Can you go talk to Grenada about integration? He's like, what's Grenada? You're not you're not disclosed. <laughs> no, I'm not disclosed. Well, go talk to him. He's like, yeah. I'm working, and I forget what the code name for Siri was, but I'm working on Siri. What are you working on? I can't tell you. But we need to integrate. Yeah, but I don't, and then like the manager, like, have you figured this out? He goes, no, because we still, we're not disclosed. Um, and they eventually just made like a web link for right, it. Right, or like right. uh, Nitin Ganatra, who ran the original apps team for the iPhone. When Steve wasn't there, they couldn't get new iPhone people read in. So he'd have to go into one room where Baz and, and everybody were working on the designs and go into the other room where the engineers were and redraw them because they weren't allowed to see the design. So there are <laughs> What's like, your security <laughs> clearance? Three. Sorry, you need to be four. Well, it's like they, they made that joke at the or event two. where they're badging yeah. in through like fish tanks. Yes. <laughs> 
and yeah. trees. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there are there are trade offs. Like nothing is perfect. Nothing ever is all encompassing. There are good points and bad points for everything. But I was just amazed one that Joel was able to publish this, or like Apple was willing was to publish. Was okay that it was published. Yes. Yeah. And also just for all like every year I do an article about the biggest problems facing Apple, and I think every year scale is one of those biggest problems right. on my list at least. And just it's not perfect. It doesn't handle everything perfectly. But the the way they've managed to scale a functional organization, I think, shows in the quality, not the quantity, but the quality of products they put out. Yes. All right. So topic two. Yeah, sure. Topic two. All right. So topic two. Though, though, can I can I just yeah. state my little tiny statement? So then, what's up with the plug, Renee? Then what's up? How did that fall through? How did that fall through it's the, the plug out. Yeah. The, I mean, the plug is gone from the iPhone. Yeah. Well, yeah. how did that? How did that? What was the problem? Apple that decided happened? that you were better off without a plug. Okay, that's it. That's all, right. all I wanted to say. Right. The next part is I want to make sure that like next time you get to see Tim Cook, you have to you have to do your good morning impression for him. <laughs> no. <laughs> Think someone's shown him? No, no. There's someone actually. There's someone on uh, TikTok that does a whole like Tim Cook thing every time. Aww. Morning, Cupertino. <laughs> it's, he's so good, and he does all these Tim Aww. Cook uh, skits on TikTok. After. All right, I'll do that. So. Google has, last week, let me back up for a second. In the last show, we talked about the antitrust probes going on. And right. now the first, the first, I want to call it the war of four armies. The first war has begun, and that is the, Dutch, the, the Justice Department, the U.S. DOJ versus Google. The horsemen of the apocalypse. They chose to lead with Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, four horsemen. One horsemen's <laughs> dropped. Well, I don't know. I don't know. So it's the government the horseman, or is or the tech companies the horsemen here? I, I don't know. I I have my opinion. And but... low, I saw. And low, there was a, and low, a fourth, a fourth person appeared, and they sat on a pale horse, and it was Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> and exactly... death came with them. Yes. <laughs> death to your privacy came with yeah. them. Yeah, and famine and pestilence. So, so this was odd to me, like not odd that they went for Google first, because I think an objective reading of the tone the content, the focus of the hearings showed that they, they really felt like they had something on Google. I was a little bit shocked that they go after Google first. I'm like, Facebook has already been caught. Oh, no, no, I want Facebook first. Well, no, but it's but just like they tone. seem like they, the tone, I agree with you for the tone, but I think that that they already have so much on Facebook. And maybe that's it. It's just a slam dunk. They don't no, really have I think have to Google worry. had the receipts. Like they just had so much okay. email from okay, Google. Okay, fair. They, could, they did have a lot I'm of doing, If you're listening, I'm doing the, the, the let it rain for receipts. But but it was such an odd thing because they didn't go after them for what I thought maybe wanted them to go after them for. Yeah. So like I, if I had my ideal, they would go after Google for the abusive behavior that they do. Right. Like when they um, tell when they tell people they can't use Skyhook data and then replace Skyhook data. When they when they tell people you can't embed the store on your thing. When they tell when they. Tell Yelp, you know, we're going to take all your results, and if you complain, right. you're off Google. Right. Like there are a bunch of, or when they have problems with personal uh, data, privacy, and data, they didn't go after any of that. They targeted only search, and the only tar and what they said was Google is abusing a monopoly position by being anti-competitive in search, but not the way the U.S. government usually goes after monopolies. They usually want lowest price for consumers. Yes. But I guess because search is essentially free. Well, that's the problem, right? I think that that's where they have an issue with Google because usually it's about anti-competitive practices yes. where the, because there is no competition, we as the consumer are going to lose out. And because Google's almost everything's out. 90% of search. This makes 
One is anti-competitive practices is so nebulous yeah. in the first place. It's not a black and white thing, right? You're either stolen from or not stolen from. But I, I agree with you that it's, it becomes this difficult thing because how can you prove that they're doing something that actually harms the consumer or well, that's the, the thing, advertisers was, or other tech companies? It becomes difficult. But that's the thing is that they chose to make it that Google was preventing other search engines from being created that would do things like give us better privacy options, you know, it, it, which to me is sort of really roundabout because Google's whole thing is competition is just a click away. Right, right. Which theoretically, that's true. Like theoretically yeah. you can, you can use a different browser. We've spoken about that difficulty of doing it. I, on my phone, do use a different browser. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they pay you know, money to other companies to make sure that they have priority and be able yes. to be used as default the default. Status, yeah. And so then it gives them a whole bunch of information also at the same time. But it's time. so odd. Like, it's just, it's so odd to me because Google is 90% of the North American search search market. Yeah. But it didn't used to be that way. Like, in the earlier days of the internet, there was Alta Vista yeah. and a whole bunch of, I'm blanking on most of the names now, but like even Yahoo was like a viable search engine it was, yeah. back then. And... Google had a better solution. Like they technologically could provide better results. I would argue that the results are nowhere nearly that good anymore. No. Um, but they, they, they won technologically, page right. rank and the way that Google did all that stuff. And this doesn't seem to address that. They're talking about, for example, they pay Apple something like 12, 13 billion dollars a year to have default status in Safari, which is just so popular on the iPhone. Right. More, much more so than the Mac. Um, but there was also a, contained in here that Google makes so much that, that the iPhone is responsible, I think, for up to, or sorry, Apple is responsible for, I think, up to like 50% of Google's traffic that if they were to lose that, it would be considered like code red critical incident at Google. What I want you to do, Renee, is to try to help me chew through this, okay. which is the Justice Department suit poses a potential existential threat to Google's business if the results in breaking off Google's search engine which accounts for like 21 billion. But what exactly would that really do? I don't know. Because I don't know how that would change anything. Like that's that's one of my problems with all these lawsuits. Like we had we had a lot, we had the Microsoft lawsuit previously. This is supposed, this new Google one is the biggest one since the Microsoft lawsuit. Right. And in Europe, they forced like this browser ballot where you got to choose between Internet Explorer, Chrome, Sleipnir, Fenris, you know, a bunch of niche browsers. And the end result was that Chrome became the dominant browser. Right. Like it didn't create better competition. It didn't create more choice. Right. It created a different monopoly choice. And right. I'm like, I mean, misusing the word monopoly, a different dominant choice. Yes. So now not only is Chrome the most popular web browser, but their fork of WebKit. So, you know, like... Even Microsoft, their um, edge rendering engine went away. I, I forget what it was called before that. Spy something, Spyglass. I, I'm blanking on the terms. But we used to have all these different, like Firefox had Gecko and Apple had WebKit and Internet Explorer had was it Spyglass, something like that. And then Edge. And there was all this diversity. And now it's almost all based on WebKit. Right. And so that's, that, that's not a good solution for consumers. And I worry... Like making Google search a separate company, it's still going to be 90% dominant in web browsers. It's just the ancillary stuff is not built on back of it. Yes, and it, it still it doesn't mean that it's going to stop information from passing through to that. Like I guess theoretically it would, and it would be harder to track. But they just have to make a deal it, for it. Yeah, I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's actually going to change. I don't know how that's going to make it um, less against the 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 Sherman Act, which is yeah, like the Sherman Antitrust Act. Yeah, which is 
a hundred years old. Yeah. So it's not made for dealing with the issues that we're really dealing with now. Um, well, there's three things. I'm going to ask you. There's three okay. things here that they say they want to fix. One is that because Google is so dominant, no one can present a more privacy-centric search engine as a viable option. So, for example, because, because Google is so dominant, DuckDuckGo doesn't really have a lot of room to thrive. Right. The second one is that people, ha they love this, people have to pay a toll to Google, like advertisers, because they're so dominant in search and because search is so important to advertising, anyone who has to search has to pay Google or Facebook um, for that. And the last, to me, is very similar to the first, is that com because Google is so dominant, other companies can't get a leg off the ground. Right. And like, I think that what they could actually go after Google, which you had spoken about before, is that they actually try to use this monopoly, monopoly, 90%, yeah. um, I guess you can say pretty much is a monopoly, um, to be able to stop anyone from doing that, kind of getting hold and will, you know, use their power. But that's not really what they came after. So yes, I agree with you. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's the same problem I have when people keep complaining that these companies don't get charged enough in taxes, but never say a word when they get massive tax breaks. Because like that, like you're not getting the money either way. And this is the same thing, like they're complaining about their power, but why didn't they block when Google bought DoubleClick, when yes. Facebook bought Instagram? Yes. Like block those sales and you'll have more viable companies. This is sort of like, oh, we screwed up. How do we roll it back? Well, not in a sensible way. Like maybe Google should have to divest DoubleClick and then they, the, at least the money they make from advertising will be separate from the search engine that they're running. Or maybe they should actually go after them for the things that they're doing that yeah. are one that if they've lied to Congress and said that they're not going to do something and then they do it, maybe they should actually enforce that it's illegal to lie to Congress in a way that is not just, you know, if I lie to Congress, I'm going away. Yeah. Right? They're not going to give me. No, nobody, which would goes, be... nobody goes away for lying to Congress anymore. <laughs> just ask Devin Stone. Oh, fair, fair. <laughs> But, you know, like you could do that. You could enforce that. But it becomes that it, these companies are so big, they carry so much power that they really get barely a slap on the wrist. Like yeah. people are just doing lip service to try to say that they're trying to police the companies more than actually doing something that's going to make any change. And the thing about this also is it reeks of politicization to me. Um, because they're trying to get this done before the election. And I don't even think that makes sense because nobody's going to win or lose an election about whether they sued Google or not. And then also the politicians on both sides are arguing, again, these, these, these ridiculous things like their bias against conservatives or liberals when you, you can see the results on Google. Like, it's not a mystery. I, I really dislike that we're removing facts from, like, facts from the discussion. Or I, I forget what the other, the guy who runs the committee, the Democrat who runs the committee, he keeps saying one thing and then yelling about breaking companies apart. And like, this stuff should be prosecuted like a competent legal department, not barked out like a carnival act. And we keep getting the carnival act. Yeah, it it's like they don't really like, and probably it's true, they don't really want to do anything. And I don't think that they know what would be something that would be viable yeah. to make change to do. And I think that they should have went about it backwards. Yes. What do we want to see happen? What would keep you know consumers, advertisers, and competition looked at? And what would that be? And then let's, put apart laws and regulations that will actually create that. Yeah. And then if anyone's going to break those rules, then go after them. But it's like Google was allowed to, um, you know, buy out different companies that could yeah. be 
competition, Facebook exactly the same thing, and no one said anything. And then when they gathered this monopoly, it's like, oh, everyone's like, oh, no, no, please don't do that. That's really bad. Oh, that privacy, please stop. And then when they do it again, please stop again. Yeah. Because also when you're you're dealing with media, right, like, you know, a lot of, you know, for politicians controlling the media and the media wanting to be in the good graces of the politicians and that's why i think that it happened before an election and this is coming up where they're not really going to do anything but they're going to wave their arms around of threats so that you make sure that we have all of our ads nothing bad happens because media companies do control a huge amount of what happens and when we see something enough we'll believe it even if it's not true well google that's where it comes out google could just remove all the results for antitrust from google they could. They could. <laughs> then nobody right? would know this was happening. Right? There's been lots of tech companies that have been caught trying to curate negative information yeah. that is about them on their platform. Which, and the other piece to it is I'm like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? <laughs> right? My YouTube channel, you say something horrible about me. I'm but again, deleting it's, it's, it. What you, what you do when you're small is different than what you're allowed to do when you're big. Well, no, it seems like the opposite, though, right? Yeah. When you're big, you can get away with more yeah. of it. If you're big yeah. enough, you can... Well, when you're big enough, you yeah. can get away with it. So when you're small enough, you can't. There was this remarkable act of... Uh, I don't know what the right term is, but Alex Hutchinson, a uh, fellow Montrealer, Alex Hutchinson, who runs Google Stadia on Twitter, at bang, bang, click. Um, I'm not going to user name shame anybody, but at bang, bang, click on Twitter, went on this... <laughs> I'm ma- not going to name shame anyone. But <laughs> yeah. uh, he went on Twitter and started complaining that streamers, the real truth is that the streamers should be paying the developers and publishers of the games they stream. And this is because a lot of people have built these huge careers off of video game streaming, PewDiePie and Jacksepticeye and Ninja and just all, you know, whole organizations, uh, the, the FaZe Clan. There's just so many streamers uh, who have played games on, on like YouTube, on Twitch on the other channels and become really, really uh, famous because of it. And he was saying, you know, they should be paying for those rights. And there is a discussion to be had there because, you know, like famously, if you try to stream Apple's keynote, they will they will give you a copyright strike immediately. Right. They will cease and desist that where other companies like LG will have someone streaming it and then pop up into their own show. Like all these companies get to decide that. But the thing is that like, the companies get to decide that. Right. And what's so funny and why he, and why Alex faced so much pushback was multi-level. So first, Google has made a fortune off just taking other people's content. Right. Like one of our biggest problems at iMore was that if we wrote an article like how to reboot your iPhone, right. if we wrote it short enough, Google would just show the steps and yep. then nobody would leave Google and come to our website. Absolutely. I still do that. I'm so sorry everyone that wrote those articles. No, but if we wrote it longer, then Google would dot, dot, dot it and everybody would click through and we'd have monstrous traffic. But either way, they were literally stealing our content. Yes. And if you complained, they took you off of Google. Yeah. And then when they put out Google+, Plus, if you didn't sign up for a Google Plus author account, they wouldn't show your results in as good a way. Yeah. And they, I'm an author. I've written several books. They would put your books up in Google Books and people could search through it and they wouldn't have to buy your book because they could get the result on. Google has systematically stolen the intellectual property of a generation, multiple generations of content creators. So this is flabbergasting in one right, but also... Jack Septicai immediately pointed out that the banner on his Twitter page was stolen fan art from Jack Septicai. So it's just like, please, please keep poking that sleeping dragon because it's going to wake up and turn on you. Hopefully. Yeah. So what do you think, George? What do you think about this whole 
to me, it's like it's like mashup culture. It's like everything's a remix. It's like Star Wars was based on Japanese movies. Like that, that's just how our culture works. And that's good. But I also believe in competition. And the other piece to it is that it is survival of the fittest, right? Um, Google did it better and that's why they became strong and then they grew to be big and then it's like you create a monster, right? It's yeah. kind of like Frankenstein's monster. You create this monster, you love it, and then it becomes too big and powerful and you're like, no work for me. And then it's like, no, actually, I don't have to do that. And then you try to kind of curate and make it smaller so that it's within your control. And so I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, maybe not as much about Facebook just because I think that they do such egregious acts that are against personal privacy and people. But it's a hard, like I just, unless they really write down proper regulations to enforce people's privacies and consumers in competition, I don't see how any of this is going to move yeah. anywhere and we're going to end up with just a whole bunch of lip service where nothing's going to change. And it seems like that's what happens a lot with government. And I just want to, Alex, Alex, just don't tweet. Just don't tweet like that. I don't know. I really don't. Um, I, I, there is, again, a whole discussion to be had about, about use of content. And but isn't it, that what happens, though, right, Renee? Is that when you're in the fishbowl, you can, like, look at someone else's little issue yeah. and it's like, you know, don't, you know, like, you have, like, yeah. a huge log through your chest and you're like, oh, look, there's a splinter on someone else and feel perfectly within your right to be able to target that out without having any knowledge even that you're part of the issue in a larger yeah. fashion. I'll just, as, as a content creator, I'll just advocate work with content creators. Don't try to make, it's like the RIAA this week, they issued a, a takedown on a YouTube downloading service because they said people were using it to download music illegally. Like, and music is probably one of a million things people are downloading with that. And, and like the logical extension of that argument is get rid of humans. Because if there's a human involved, like a human is going to misuse something. So you're, it just, I get so frustrated. You're saying the robot, when the robot yeah. overlords take over, yeah. they will be better. Anyway, I'm sure we're going to see much, much more of this going forward. And I'd love to know what everybody uh, listening and watching thinks. So just drop us a comment, tweet us, uh, let us know what side, if any side, uh, and what you'd like to see happen. Because I'm generally yeah. curious, like, I, I would like better alternatives to Google. What, what would make you happy? What resolution would you like to see? Yeah, and what regulations should be in place? Yeah. Well, let's say it, it, it might be more awe-inspiring than some of the ideas that... Um, oh, most definitely. Yeah. So we're going to have an extra segment coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this, watching this on Nebula, we have one more bonus topic for you. But for everybody else, Georgia, would you please let them know where they can find you? Um, so you can see me on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. And uh, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you can check out anxiety-videos.com. What about you? I am at Renee Ritchie on all the social things. So Twitter.com slash Renee Ritchie, YouTube.com slash Renee Ritchie. I got a 45-minute iPhone 12 review it's up. It's a really good review. Oh, thank you. It's a really, really good... Well, you have to good... say that. You're in it. No, I don't. I don't. I, I would I would say, like, you know, this one was really beautiful. I thought okay. that the shots were really great. And oh, thank we you. went through everything and, yeah. And if you want to keep watching, if you want to get to the Nebula version, uh, you can try it out for free. You can even get a bundle with CuriosityStream for, like, I forget, like, it's really low. It's, like, under 15, 17, under 15 bucks. And you get bucks. to watch to see yeah. me torture Renee. Here, oh, have another sip. You have to yeah. have another sip right. of this great coffee. Just go to curiositystream.com slash Apple Talk and uh, you can keep White on watching.